or it doesn't even have to be an executive. There's some people that are in sales tech that are like SDRs that are doing the same thing that are able to um, create a, uh, even like in B to B to C, like the state uh, flow, the progressive lady, it's the same thing. You know what I mean? There's somebody that attaches that is attached to the company that creates some level of relevance and consistency with the brand. So I believe that it just creates a long-term competitive advantage in order to have these things in place. Um, the fourth one I think is actually the most obvious about where it breaks down, which is that in order to really win today, you need volume and consistency that is not going, it's going to be prohibitively expensive to do that outsourced. Um, and so the level of content volume and the level of consistency in order to deliver multiple LinkedIn posts a day, a, po- a couple podcasts a week, YouTube videos, TikTok videos, when you think about the entire landscape, um, it's just not feasible to continue to produce at that volume without making stuff that is either just like searching for blogs and looking for things that are, you know, top of mind, but not really your own thoughts. And then the last piece that I think is super interesting is, is the ability to use content to test messaging and ideas. Um, and so we do this a lot here where there's like certain concepts that basically like the concepts get created in real time because the audience is asking questions and then you providing answers to them. And you have this interesting back and forth dynamic where when people don't understand things, you can rapidly clarify messaging. And so there's, and that can help in product strategy that can be flowed down into sales and marketing messaging. And so it's not just in this little like content box. This is almost like a business strategy. Um, and so those are the, the five reasons why I think companies need to think about creating content in house. The caveat here is that there are parts of the post-production that you can outsource. Um, so like editing the videos, putting in captions, formatting it for YouTube versus LinkedIn, like that stuff you can outsource, but the actual strategy of like, who are we communicating with? What are we going to talk about? Why is it relevant to our business? Who in our company is going to be able to communicate that in a way that people trust? How are we going to create it on an ongoing basis so that we have enough volume of base content that the people that are post-producing could even post-produce enough that we can keep, that we can distribute? So that's the place where you actually need to do it in-house from strategy through creation. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Thank you for breaking it down. I think um, just to sum it up, it seems like you have to own the story, right? Like you have to, to know like what story yeah. you're telling. Yeah, is you have to own the story. And then you also have to be a part of the feedback loops, right? Like you have to create like the mechanisms um, for you to be able to have those feedback loops to iterate on that story, to progress that story, or else your story gets stale, right? There's lots of brands out there that have told really good stories at one point that were really relevant, like 10 years ago, and now no one cares, right? And so you have to like be on top of your story and uh, continuing to iterate on your story and understand yeah, and be in control of the delivery of the story. Right. So like who in your company, it's not only about having someone in your company deliver it, but it's like, do you have somebody that has the credibility that your buyers believe in? Right. So uh, yeah, there's multiple dynamics, but the act, the story is huge. The delivery of the story on an ongoing basis. And then I love the, the way that you simplified it into the frameworks for feedback. Yeah. And, uh, and the distribution thing you've talked about as well, like the interesting thing is I've heard you say both of these things are business risks, right? Like not owning the content, big business risk, not owning the distribution, also a big business risk. It turns out both of those things combined are a lot of marketing or there are a lot of the market understanding what you do. 
marketing. And so having both of those and understanding that you need both of those and as hard as it is for that to all be in-house, um, that the more you can get to that place, uh, the better you're going to be from a business standpoint. It's because people are still stuck in the way that marketing used to be and think that content is the extra thing or that it's for SEO, right? Like if you want to go and outsource blogs for SEO to get people on your website, like be my guest. But we are now in a place where most of the content consumption is happening inside of social and your SEO blogs that don't add a lot of value created by people that don't have subject matter expertise are not going to hit there. Um, And so I think people just underestimate how much different like content is the is all of marketing right now put content on the internet you know um aside from the strategy component but when it when it comes down to it i think that people think about content as the extra thing and it really is the main course yeah i mean as a content person i'm definitely not going to disagree with you here so um so this is actually a good segue um talking about content talking about the distribution talking about the feedback um because the next thing i wanted to ask is how do you get this done? Like what pieces do you need in-house, uh, whether it's a role uh, or a skill set needed? How do you think about uh, the jobs to be done in terms of marketing content? Yeah, so you need the subject matter expert. So that's like one, I think the key criteria is they have credibility um, with your buyer, somebody that your potential buyer would trust and engage with. Um, so subject matter expert is one. Another one is what I call the architect. It's possible where the subject matter expert and the architect are the same person, but we'll split them out as two because they're often different. The architect is the person that is getting customer insights, that is solidifying the story, that is orchestrating the topics that are being talked about, that is managing the distribution, that is collecting the feedback, basically the leader that's orchestrating the entire thing. Um, I see a lot of companies not have that in place. So it sort of feels disjointed in the distribution and the creation. So having someone that can be like true architect of the entire strategy is big. Um, next, uh, and this could, uh, this could essentially be like one, like marketing manager level person, but I'm happy to kind of like break them out. So people have context about what's actually being done. Um, you need someone that's a- able to run the events. Um, so we use a a framework to create content that is recorded live events, um, because we get live questions from the audience. We get real time feedback. It doubles as an event strategy and potentially an influencer strategy. And so there's a lot of benefits to why we've done it that way, but somebody needs to actually run the events. You have this like whole post-production, um, which could be one person. It could be outsourced. It could be an internal team. Um, that is typically video editors. Um, so we use base content of typically video for social. And so you have the long form podcast here, and then that's going to get broken down into micro chunks for, um, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok are like the, some of the main distribution channels that we have right now. Um, as we've continued to scale up volume, we've started to get people that are specific to a one channel. So we have like an editor specifically for YouTube. We have an editor specifically for LinkedIn, and we're about to hire an editor specifically for TikTok. So you have people that are like basically responsible for the post-production of the assets that then are t- what, what we do is they're delivered back to the subject matter expert who will then post them through their own profile on those platforms. And then from there, you have distribution, feedback loops, and all that stuff happening from the subject matter expert and or the architect. 
Nice. Yeah. Thanks for walking through that. So um, to recap it for folks, I think you need like the strategist um, uh, or the architect, as you said, uh, and then you also need the subject matter expert and these things at the beginning sort of thing. Like you need this uh, to create the content, to create good content um, and to create it in like a repeatable way. Uh, but then you also need more on the back end uh, distributor. And that can be a combination of someone who's responsible for the distribution, but also leveraging, for instance, uh, in your case, people that come on the episodes, right, or the subject matter experts that you're bringing on, they can be influencer status, help you distribute the content that way, and then uh, paid uh, organic, uh, starting that engine on your own. So distribution, uh, and then also creative um, on the back end as well of the, the person that's able to break up those things and to understand at a channel level what's going to work. Um, and so thinking about it that way of front end, back end, um, all of those roles. Let me know if I got that right. Yeah, that was great. Appreciate you summarizing it. Perfect. Uh, no, it helps me. It helps uh, it click for me as well. So um, breaking that down, what do you think those roles look like? I mean, they're going to change uh, based on the type of company that you're at. But if I was going to try and build this, right, like what roles uh, am, I, am I going after in terms of, uh, I'll give you an example. So um, the creative uh, or the distributor on the organic side, maybe that's like a brand marketing manager is like one one way to look at that. Um, or a demand gen manager might be uh, someone that's helping with distribution on the paid side. So just how do you think through some of those like roles uh, in attracting the best talent for each of these, for yeah. Each of these people? Yeah. Um, I think that traditionally, I'll just hit on this point because it's, it's top of mind and relevant. I think that traditionally people would start to split the distribution to write like a brand marketing manager and then a demand gen manager. Um, I really think that companies should start thinking about branded demand as one function and that somebody should be orchestrating both because it's basically like two similar ways to get to the same people. Um, and so I uh, just because people think about paid and organic differently because of how they've thought about it in the past, I think that people need to rethink it in social that like paid is just guaranteed delivery of organic content if you think about it that way. Um, so I'd have one person be the distributor and um, not thinking about the different channels initially. I think that you get a lot of especially larger companies start to segment down by channel and then they force that specific person to prove ROI of their distribution channel, which creates the wrong behaviors inside of each channel. Um, so I'd rather have uh, less people that see a wider landscape. Um, the subject matter expert is simply somebody that has credibility that's done your, your buyer's job before. That person could have already been, they're basically your chief evangelist. Um, so if you're selling to CFOs of fortune 1000 companies, you're probably going to want to have that person that's been a CFO at a fortune 1000 company before. Um, if you are going after a different, you basically just need to match it to your buyer. Right. And one, when I started to figure this out, we were selling into emer hospitals with emergency medicine physicians, and we hired a, a VP of medical education. That was a previous practicing physician that would help us with the content. So that's an example of how we did it in a different business. So subject matter experts, very clear. Um, the architect, I think it's more about looking or strategist. I think it's more about looking at the skills that the person has, not necessarily the job title. Cause I think the job title can lead you in a lot of different places. Um, but basically this person needs to be your, uh, essentially the head of strategic comms. Um, and I, I don't like using that word because I think strategic comms gets put in this bucket of like fluffy stuff that nobody cares about. But if you think about it deeply, like understanding customers, 
and communicating strategically with them on an ongoing basis to change their perception about what you're trying to sell or what you're doing as a company is critically important. Um, and so I would, uh, I would think about that person. I like sometimes a director of demand gen can get it, but I often find directors of demand gen being too squeezed into a specific place where they're not talking to customers. They're not thinking about other distribution channels other than paid. Um, they're only focused on lead gen. So like that, the job title of that, it, they, it probably should fall under that person, but the job title of that role and what they do probably doesn't match what I'm communicating right now. So I think for most business, especially earlier stage businesses, this is your head of head of marketing. Um, cool. And then you have this, the uh, post-production people. Typically what I'm looking for here is a creator, somebody that can uh, produce, shoot, and edit all in one. Um, so somebody that can do everything from the beginning to the end of video production. Um, that's what I'm looking for because they're more versatile and we do a lot of live filming with our events and things like that. And so for post-production, I'm typically not looking for an editor. I'm looking for a creator. And then on distribution, I mentioned that at the beginning, I'd be looking for like one person to own uh, the distribution of the content on how it flows in both paid or organic across a lot of different channels. I think what people um, confuse here is that you don't actually need to be everywhere in order for this stuff to work. Um, for like the first year that I was doing this and growing my company, I only produced content for LinkedIn. Um, and then after that, when we were organizationally ready, where we had a good content framework, we were able to invest in resources. Then we added live events and a podcast. Then six months down the road, we added YouTube. Then six months down the road, we started to add TikTok. And so I think people um, overvalue being everywhere, um, which spreads out focus and resources and energy, and you actually get nowhere on, on everywhere. Nice. Okay. Let me, let me dig into that one a little bit more. So if you have nailed down the creation part of it, um, do you, would you mess with just trying to distribute it on several different channels um, at the beginning? Or you're saying you would wait a little bit until you've nailed down one channel? So I think that it's important to have multiple, what I call experiments running when you don't know what's going to work. You got to make an educated guess. Um, Honestly, when I did it on, on LinkedIn, for example, the educated guess that I made is, hey, I see other people out here like Dave Gerhard and Justin Wells and other people that are posting content and getting thousands of likes on their content about marketing and sales. So clearly there are people out here that like marketing and sales content that's driven toward high tech or high growth companies. So just because they're doing it, there's a signal that like this is a channel that I should probably invest in more than another one at that point in 2019 than like TikTok, for example. And so you should be able to, as a company, make educated decisions on like the top two or three opportunities in the market for you right now. Um, and then from there, I would recommend having a couple of experiments running with the goal of figuring out what are the positive signals in one channel that I'm looking for, um, which could be for me on LinkedIn. It was people inviting me onto their podcast. It was CMO sending me DMs saying, hey, that content was really helpful. It was people asking me if I would do a speaking engagement for their marketing team. It was people that were starting sales calls with us saying, I was reading your LinkedIn post or watching your LinkedIn video. And then I was thinking about this. And those are, the, those are the positive signals that I'm looking for. The thing that people need to shift here is that all of the signals early on are qualitative, not quantitative. And so you need to be able to shift what you're actually looking for at the beginning to, to achieve the positive signals, which are the early indicators, which would then push you of saying, okay, for right now, LinkedIn is working clearly. I'm going to push these other two to the side, which for me was 
um, podcast and Instagram. I'm going to push these to the side. I'm going to focus on LinkedIn. I'm going to actually get this to really work. I'm going to truly like, and I think that if you look at LinkedIn, I'm probably one of the people that have made the platform work the most out of anyone in the world um, over the past three years. And so I feel like a lot of marketers do stuff, but only scratch the surface, if that, on the actual impact of a channel because they never go deep enough. And then when you're actually going real deep, you see tons of immense benefits. And then you add the next, once you have a clear path to scale on LinkedIn, which is like, we know how to create content every day. We know the content resonates. I have a cadence where I can publish that every day. Now let's work on events. Now let's work on the podcast. Um, that's the, the framework that I use to scale marketing programs, whether it's organic or paid, find one, get the positive signals, prove that it's repeatable, operationalize it, then scale it. While it's scaling, start running experiments to figure out what the next one will be. Yeah, thank you for for like pinpointing when like that. I think that's uh, where a lot of content marketers and marketers in general um, get overwhelmed uh, or or make mistakes is when they um, is is when they try and jump into other things before one thing is working, right? And so to sum, summarize all all of what you just said, don't don't jump into something else until your one channel or your, or your one bet uh, is working well, or or at least you've confirmed that it's not going to work. One hundred percent. Um, okay, so let's dive into the logistics of content creation itself. Um, we've talked about it quite a bit, um, but there's one thing that you've mentioned in the past that I wanted to dig into, which is like forcing functions within content creation. So for instance, um, at Refine Labs, you have a show that you run every uh, every Tuesday. Um, and that's, it's been that way for, for a while, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, so you have a strong belief in forcing functions or um, some sort of like due date on these things that keep uh, a steady cadence like of content rolling. So if you can go into that, that part of content creation and the importance of it. Yeah, we'll be recording episode 98 of our Demand Gen Live tonight on Tuesday. Um, and we started that uh, during the first week of the lockdown of COVID in March of 2020. <clears throat> and have continued to use that as a anchor that we know that 100 or more people are going to show up every week. So I'm not just going to like at 3 p.m. in the afternoon be like, oh, I don't feel like it tonight. I'm going to cancel it. Um, and so it creates accountability for us to show up, to produce a good event, to think about the topics deeply, which then allows all the other stuff, which is then once you do the event, it's the feeder for all the other content. So we started with that pillar. Um, I call them content like recurring pillars. So then you have that one. And then we've added a bi-weekly that happens on Thursday at noon. Um, and so you can see the sort of like the strategy here, which is we have a Tuesday at 7.30 p.m., which is difficult for most of the world um, outside of the U.S. and Australia. So we get mostly U.S. and APAC on our Tuesday night events. And then we have a Thursday event at 12 p.m., which allows U.K., all of most of Europe and EMEA, um, and most of the U.S. as well. And so we have two different events. And on Tuesdays, we or on Thursdays, we have a different topic. We typically have guests that come in for those. So it's pretty much a different uh, different strategy overall. And we use events as things that are basically stuck in the ground that force ongoing content creation on a recurring basis because it's it's really hard to keep up. And if you aren't if you don't have those things in the ground, then it's very likely that something that's quote unquote more important will show up. And before you know it, you've gone a month without recording any type of content. Um, and so I highly suggest having some level of recurring um, 
on a, ideally on a weekly basis with an audience, which creates ultimate accountability in my experience. Nice. And, and what I like about this too is it's not just a due date in Asana, right? Or uh, in a ClickUp and some sort of project management tool. Uh, like people are waiting for you to show up. <laughs> like you've said, I'll, I'll be there live. Um, and so in that way, like true accountability and that other people are expecting you to be there. And so you have to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that being the difference between this and I think some, some similar strategies. Um, cool. So I love that. Uh, the next thing is uh, distribution itself. Like talk, talk through kind of some of the tactics um, that you use uh, in terms of distribution from uh, chopping up the content, repurposing the content um, to things like dropping links in the comments to paid. Uh, just talk through how you think about distribution at Refine Labs and then how you think about it for your customers. Yeah, I look for, I got it noted down. I'm going to talk through distribution, but I want to talk a little bit deeper on the recurring events because I want to drill the point home that um, consistency is a huge part of whether you win or lose here. And I don't think that people value it enough. Like the, I, I don't, I don't think people understand that I've produced more than five pieces of content for LinkedIn every day for almost three years. It's probably three years on the dot now. Um, and that level of consistency creates inertia, creates volume, creates, um, I'm sure people have had this happen. Like if you go a month without posting on LinkedIn, your f- first post you come back way down in engagement because the algorithms figured out, hey, this person's not posting anymore. I'm going to go show it to somebody else. And you lose a lot of the loyal viewership that you had. And that's a case in most platforms as well, just because you're signaling to the algorithm that you're not posting anymore. And so the consistency is the place where I see a lot of people miss. Um, and I don't think that it's for lack of knowing how to set up an event every week. It's for lack of understanding how critical it is to the success. I don't think that people value the consistency enough. So just want to put that point in here. Um, when it comes to distribution, um, like I talked through before in terms of how we, um, how we stack channels on top of one another in order to deliver compounding gains. So we started with LinkedIn. I honestly started with text posts and then we converted to video because I was hitting a wall and not being able to write all the time. Um, so I would show up and I would get writer's block and obviously like coming up with a new idea every day for a long period of time is very difficult. So you want to over time have a framework that sets you up for success there. So we converted to video so that I wouldn't have to think about what to write every day. I could just pull a video. Um, and so getting LinkedIn really rolling was an interesting one for me. I was one of the earliest people to switch from text to video, which I consider to be a micro innovation inside of a channel. Um, so making little tweaks on like going from text to video and then like, where do you put the, the header? So now the header's at the top and then where do the captions go? People are going to consume a lot of this without, without, uh, um, without sound on. So do you have captions or not? These are all things that we figured out over time. How much does the actual copy that you write in the post matter to whether or not someone stops and watches the video? And these are all little details that over time I would, we've micro innovated to figure out that again, I just don't think that a lot of people recognize that they're just like, Oh, we're doing LinkedIn now, but don't think about evolving the actual strategy on there and making little tweaks and adjustments. So those are some of the things that LinkedIn was the initial spark. I've been using a comment um, to publish the, to link to the podcast that was associated with the video that I've been posting, which is great, like a user acquisition loop for the podcast. So that's been working very well for me. When it comes to the actual like podcast distribution, um, we post, we use, uh, I think a tool called anchor.fm to post, but I don't think that it really matters what you use. 
um, the thing on the podcast is that getting the initial listenership and the initial listenership that listens to come back is the hardest part. Um, and so a lot of people ask me, uh, like, hey, I'm trying to get the podcast going. We only have 30 downloads. It's been a couple months. Like, what's what's going on? And the thing is that you can't just wait for people to find your podcast in um, in the Apple Podcast or the Spotify store. You need to go and distribute micro content, which gets them educated, which then allows them as an entry point from short form into long form. Um, so LinkedIn was that vehicle for us. And then once you start to get that going and you deliver, so you have hundreds of people listening to the podcast and hundreds of people that are listening to it and like it, then those people are going to share it and tell other people. And then you get this like word of mouth loop. Um, but a lot of people don't get to the level of either getting 100 people in there, but more importantly, getting 100 people that like it and want to share it. Um, when you think about, uh, I'm not sure exactly how you wanted to ask, answer me, for me to answer the question. So I'll just continue on from a YouTube perspective. We'd rip the basically the raw long form that we would use on uh, podcast and use that on with video for uh, for YouTube. It's honestly not a like picture perfect strategy for YouTube because people are monitoring watch time and things like that. I honestly just don't. I don't just like I do with my video on LinkedIn. Like if I cared about the platform's algorithm that much, then I wouldn't post video on LinkedIn. Um, and so the same thing on YouTube, some platforms like have certain things in the algorithm. It doesn't mean that you have to follow all of them. It doesn't mean that you should follow all of them. Um, and so we have a long form video. We also publish three short form videos that are more like topic centric um, that go out on YouTube that are optimized to get maximum watch time. Um, and now I'm starting to experiment with TikTok quite, uh, quite a lot. Um, and that's been an interesting journey to it's a, the dynamics of the platform are very different than uh, LinkedIn or Instagram, pretty much any other one that I've been a part of because of the, the for you, um, setting and like the interest based of how it gives content to people. Um, so that one has been interesting to test and figure out. Yeah. Uh, so the visual that always comes to mind when content strategists or marketers in general talk about, uh, content and especially the way that you think through content, uh, is distribution, there's like a packaging portion of it, right? Like you have your subject matter experts that have, that come up with the raw content, right? Um, but it needs to uh, be processed somehow. So like the next step is like either the strategist or editor that's like processing this, this content some, somehow um, and also like packaging it for distribution. So you're talking about things like captions uh, and things like just putting, putting the link to the larger content in the comments, like all of these like micro um, adjustments that you made that help like package content for distribution that, that make it sort of viable, like for, um, uh, for the market. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so literally thinking through like content logistics, like that's like the, the picture that comes up in, in my head that may or may not be helpful for other people. Uh, but just wanted to bring that up of like, uh, it, it can truly like be the sort of like assembly line process as long as it's starting from the right place of subject matter experts and um, uh, your actual like business goals at the beginning. Right. Um, it's, there's no point in, I want to emphasize this for people. There's no point in uh, processing and packaging like bad content, right? Like you can, you can adjust and um, pretty up like bad content, uh, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna help you like hit your goals. Right. And so distribution hot topic right now, like everyone wants a, uh, an easy out, I think. Um, and con uh, content uh, distribution sometimes feels like that of like, oh, like we can just take our content and we'll just, we'll put it everywhere. Yeah. 
put it everywhere and people will, will love us. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a really like appealing, uh, to me, right. It's a, it's appealing to anyone. Uh, but the hard part, like the really hard part is like creating really good content, um, at the beginning, once you've like nailed that down, uh, content distribution becomes a lot easier, um, because you have something that people want. Uh, and it's just a matter of like putting it in a format, uh, people want. So still, still a skill nonetheless, I'll give an interesting story here. So the, uh, the first, uh, the first things that I did when I started my company was I wrote four huge blogs. It was one about pipeline velocity. It was one about how medical device marketing is so stale. And there was a couple other ones. Um, I spent probably a month writing four blogs. They were huge. And, um, and it was great content. And then I took them, obviously they're optimized for SEO and I share them on LinkedIn and like seven people actually went and looked at it. And then what I did was I started taking a paragraph from the blog, which there were probably 50 to a hundred paragraphs in there. I took a paragraph or an idea from the blog and I put it into LinkedIn and I started blogging on LinkedIn and it worked way better. And so, um, one of the, like, it, it's sort of just because you make good content doesn't mean that it's going to work. Like the distribution actually is super, super, uh, important. And it's crazy. If you can think about how many companies right now write blogs that nobody ever sees, nobody, none of their actual buyers ever see. Um, and just thinking about doing, doing things a little bit differently. Another thing that came to, uh, to my mind is that in order to make these like micro adjustments, you got to be okay with doing things that no one's ever done before and be okay with failing. And failing is nothing more than trying something that no one's ever done before and learning something that no one else is willing to learn. And so like you create massive gains and things like that. Like a lot of the stuff that I've done, like nobody paved the way on how to do this on LinkedIn. You got to figure it out on your own. And I think that a lot of people are looking for like a manual or like a step-by-step -step guide or different things like that. And a step, there's a plenty of step-by-step -step guides that get you pretty far. Um, but to really get to the level where you're like dominating, which I think people that are listening to this podcast, hopefully are trying to figure out how to get their content to literally dominate their space. Um, is you got to start to, you got to start to break rules and do things that other people haven't done before and, and see what you learn. Yeah, no, th thank you for, uh, clarifying like on content distribution, because it's, it's definitely a skill and it's, uh, it's, it's very tricky. Uh, it's, it's just easier. Like when you have good content and it's what? doable when you have good content, right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really like setting someone up to fa fail if you don't have the good content totally. uh, to begin with. And so, um, so yeah, I definitely want to emphasize that. And I also see it as, um, the person who can see the story, like as a content marketer myself, like what I look for in other, uh, content marketers is like their ability to like, see the story, like, and, uh, sort of like know what good looks like, um, both from the, uh, the front end of, okay, well, what would a good, um, event look like? What would a good title look like? You know, what would mm -hmm. uh, good content look like? Um, and that's at the front end, but also on the back end, like, what do those good clips look like? Yeah. Uh, do, do, do those clips like help us tell our story are, or are they uh, a little bit too far removed from like the, the real story that we want to tell? And so on both ends, like you want a content marketer who can see the story. And so, and that, and that really is like a skill um, in, uh, in being someone that, that has like a, outsourced it before and then also had it in, uh, in house. And then um, sort of like that in between of now, for instance, I work with a, with a freelancer 
um, who has been in the industry, who is like a really smart content marketer. Um, but it's really hard to, to find that person. And in the meantime, like you have to be that person. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so I just wanted to emphasize both equally important and, uh, and equally hard. Um, so thank you for, thank you for calling that out. Um, the, the other thing I want to mention is feedback loops. So we talked about this a little bit, wanted to dive uh, a little bit deeper into it. Um, how you think about feedback loops and how they inform your content strategy. This is everything. I don't know what else to say, like putting stuff out there and seeing how people are reacting, what questions they're asking, what they don't understand. When you're speaking on a live event and you say something, you see 20 people on the Zoom screen nod their heads, or you see a bunch of people look confused. Those are signals that you need to take to then start to think about and adjust. That's why people struggle with this again is because it's all qualitative. You're, you're looking at what people are saying. You're not have some spreadsheet or some dashboard that's going to tell you what to do. And so you need to take that insight. You need to process it. And then you need to make some type of like decision on what it means and how to adjust the strategy. And so, but when you get to a place like this, this is, this is the basis of the competitive advantage because your customers or your potential customers are feeding you the insights about what part of your story is working, what part of the story they don't understand what unanswered questions still exist and different things like that. I figured this out in 2016. I had a, uh, a crazy plan that we were going to take. Uh, the, so we had, we were targeting uh, respiratory therapists, emergency medicine physicians and ER nurses. And we had a bunch of clinical data that had been published by third parties. That was like, this product does as good as the one that you're using right now, but has way less side effects for patients. So it was like black and white that people, if they knew this information, they would be more likely to using, to be using the product. And, uh, but we relied on our sales team to go and like pound the pavement and go and tell people about this study. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't happening fast enough. It wasn't working. The people didn't think that the salespeople were credible. And so what I did was I took uh, the clinical trial, I interviewed the primary investigator on the clinical trial in a 10 minute video, and we took one other uh, snippet from him presenting at a, at a conference. And we had three major content assets that we produced through Facebook. We distributed through Facebook paid at that time. At that time, you could run ABM. So you, I was literally targeting like Seattle Children's Hospital, Boston Children's Hospital. I remember because I would have to go in there. And there, you couldn't upload a list like you can in LinkedIn. I would go in there and type out every single one of our tier one and tier two hospitals we were going after, and I'd put them in there. It took me hours. And then when I did that, and I started to send the content out, I would get hundreds of comments from emergency medicine physicians and directors of respiratory and ER nurses, questions, objections, people saying, I love your product, people saying, I tried it and I hated it, all these different things. And you're collecting insights at scale. And then all I would do is whenever there was a question that somebody asked that I didn't have a piece of content produced for that I thought was a good question, I would go and produce a piece of content and then I would run that one. And you can see how the feedback from the audience will consistently fuel what the next pieces of content are rather than you making it up. There's a component of it where you have to have the strategy and be able to connect it to business outcomes so you don't get off track and just follow whatever people are asking you for. So there's a strategy element to it, but the key is that like just just sitting back and shouting about whatever you're talking about without listening to the feedback of what people are giving you is going to create like it it's tone deaf. And so I think that the the feedback loop, if you like, you actually need to be pretty far, right? You have to figure out how to produce content, you have to figure out how to distribute, you have to 
probably do it for a consistent period of time before people are giving you this type of feedback. But then once you do, it's the weapon to getting it to, to dominate. Let's put it that way. Um, like it, the, in, the insights not only drive your content strategy, it can drive your pricing strategy, product marketing and messaging, your go-to-market strategy, um, your product roadmap, tons of different tons of different things because you basically have a live like customer advisory board in front of you every day. You don't have to pay them. You don't have to fly them anywhere. You're just getting insights from them. Um, so yeah, I, I feel very passionate about the feedback loops. Nice. Cool. Well, we've gone through the whole process, right? Um, on the creation side, you need a subject matter expert. You need an architect. Um, on the distribution side, you need an actual distributor. Uh, and you need a creative to kind of like help um, help with the distribution, help package. Um, uh, and that kind of brings us through the whole process. And then you use feedback loops to kind of like start it all again and to, um, to iterate and to make a better version of what you did last week or the week before. So, so that's the whole thing. Um, Except that uh, at your company, I've noticed like one one other thing that's kind of cool is that all of this was kind of all of this was kind of funneled through you, right? Um, where you were uh, the dis- distribution for a long time, everything was going through uh, your profiles, um, and that was working really well. But at some point, you were able to sort of expand that, and uh, everyone in your company, uh, or a lot of uh, the people in your company, became uh, or already were, but became um, both subject matters. Um, matter experts that were then creating content and distributing that content and themselves. And so you're able to kind of like expand on uh, the original strategy um, for like massive reach. So mm-hmm. any tips for, for people uh, once you, once you get all the way through like this uh, to this stage uh, to how to, how to kind of expand your uh, distribution and content um, at the company level like that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because um it's not really like expanding the distribution. It's creating an entirely starting over and creating an entirely new system for somebody else. Right. So we're basically like, um, they're not distributing my thoughts. They are creating their own. They're basically the architect, the strategist, the distributor. We help them with post-production, but they're sort of like running their own model. Um, which I believe creates variety of thought. It creates a lot of freedom and flexibility for people to talk about what they want. Not all of it is anywhere close to related to B2B marketing, which is totally awesome and cool with me. People can share whatever they want. Um, and I believe, I, I feel confident making the statement that my company is executing better on LinkedIn than any business in the world. And we only have 100 employees. And so it's crazy that like a Salesforce, an Oracle, like somebody out there hasn't been able to figure out how to get their company to do it at the level that I have in term, uh, that we have in terms of participation. Um, and it really, to me, is rooted in two things. It's rooted in leadership doing it and creating a culture where people feel comfortable and safe and free to do it themselves. Um, and those are the two places where it breaks down. A lot of companies out there love to talk about how their employees should do it. And none of the executives do it. None of the VPs do it. And none of the directors do it. And that doesn't create an environment where the managers or the senior managers feel comfortable doing it. Um, so not having leadership sort of like walk the walk is a probably the main reason why this fails. The second piece, and I've been in cultures like this, is that the culture, the company sets up a culture where like your people look down on you for doing it or somebody would make fun of you or like you post on LinkedIn and all of a sudden so HR is coming to you and saying, hey, are you looking for a new job? I saw you posted on LinkedIn two days in a row. And it's just generally like an old, outdated way of thinking. And so I 
to me, the way to make it work is to prove it with at least one, ideally multiple executives that actually do it and show you this is what it looks like every day. This is the consistency and cadence to creating the culture. And the thing that's been uh, an accelerator, it was already working without this, but an accelerator for us has been actually taking the creation, um, actually cr taking the organization and the post-production part of it out of their um, to help them with that. So now we organize podcasts, we focus on the like video editing and distribution so that they can share those things. And so we're at basically like continuing to figure out how to scale this piece out. Um, but it's to, to clarify, I would say that it's multiple individual strategies. So Chris Walker has one, Judy Sheriff has one, and it could go on for a, a long time, but they're, um, I think that companies almost try to make it too coordinated and it comes off inauthentic. Um, and so I believe that our like strategy of sort of like letting people communicate what they want when they want has worked really well for us. Yeah. I mean, trust, right? Uh, like trust that uh, it's going to work because we've seen uh, other leaders uh, post and there's some leadership by example. Um, and then, yeah. And then just like, trust that like you're not going to get fired or nothing terrible is going to happen uh, because you are doing your own thing. Um, and so knowing like that uh, your your company cares about you or leadership cares about you at the individual level uh, and your progression, um, I think is, the, is a big part of it. Um, yeah, is... Maybe there's one more. This is fun. Yeah. This is fun. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Maybe there's one more where it's like, um, like most companies like I mentioned before, this is just literally the truth. If the listeners listen to this and you think about your leadership at your company, most companies think that LinkedIn is not a core thing. It's an extra thing that we do sometimes when we have time. And in my company, we believe that LinkedIn, podcasts, and community are the number one things in the entire business. So we're not worried about building the trade show boost, thinking about how to put together an ebook, thinking about automated email nurture sequences, spending two years putting together fucking lead scoring. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear here, but like that's, those are the things that companies waste time okay. on and money on. And then they feel like, oh, like LinkedIn stuff is a sprinkle. And so there needs to be a mindset shift here where people realize that the world has shifted and the things that you think are extra are actually the most important stuff. And that's a, it's a, another reason why companies don't get this to take off because their employees feel that they don't believe in it. And if they don't believe in it, then they're not incentivizing the behavior. That behavior is not going to get rewarded. And then you don't get the, the behavior that you want. Nice. Well, that was the perfect little mic drop uh, to wrap this up. Um, so let me know, though, if I if I missed anything, if there's if there's any other uh, Chris Walker takes that we need to, to get on the show um, before we wrap. Mm, I uh, you sort of you you got me on that last one. I was uh, the 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 what it takes in order for this to be successful. I think that people dramatically underestimate it, especially when you think about not just one person doing it, but it's scaling out across a lot of different employees. I have CMOs come and talk to me all the time and they're like, forget all this other stuff that we're doing. We're going all in on, on, you know, LinkedIn content marketing. And I was like, nobody at your company has posted in the last 30 days. Do you think that you're just going to switch this on and not do anything? And meanwhile, you have like an $8 million marketing budget that's being wasted on shit. That's not working. Um, and so the, and even then it's like, forget, we'll just keep running the $8 million and waste it. And then we'll think about how to put LinkedIn on top rather than like fundamentally rethinking your marketing strategy and rebuilding it from the ground up, which, um, honestly, I think would benefit a lot of companies. I think a lot of companies, uh, if they started with a blank slate and they considered what their buyers need today, 
half, at least half of the budgetary expenses and half of the activities that they do would be deemed irrelevant or ineffective. And they could spend that money and those resources doing things that actually work today. Nice. That was perfect. Exactly what I was looking for. So Chris, where can people find you? Learn more about you. Yeah. Feel free to check out our podcast called the State of Demand Gen Podcast available on Apple and Spotify. And uh, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn, Chris Walker. And if you want to see some building in public on TikTok, I'm available there at ChrisWalker171. Nice. Well, Chris, thank you again for coming on and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. That was a blast. Hey, everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode. Mm-hmm.